Welcome to Three Podcast Queens, the good, the bad, and the ugly indie series, where we talk to indie brand owners and get the tea that you want to hear. Today, for our very first podcast, we are so honored to have with us the owner of Mira Beauty Co. And you guys, this is been a year in the works. We are very pleasured. Pleased to bring on Harsh. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. So are we. It's this is such a such an honor again. I'm repeating myself, but yeah, I'm very, very happy that you chose to uh, come on and talk with us. So we got some questions we'll ask you. You can ask us anything and see how it goes. Awesome. Sounds good. Okay. So just to kind of give the people who we are, I am Aaron, also known as Mama J911. And with me is my co-host. I'm Lana D. You may know me from Twitter and Instagram and YouTube and TikTok. I'm everywhere. Yep, we are. <laughs> And Harsh, do you want to tell them a little bit about your social medias, where they can find you? Yeah, so um, I don't have any personal social media, all of my social media for Mira. Um, Twitter, it's, I believe, at Mira Beauty Co. And then IG, it's underscore Mira Beauty Co. underscore. And those are the only two that we really, we have a TikTok. I couldn't even tell you what it is. I just go there to watch you guys make videos. We don't really <laughs> do anything on there. I want to uh, say it's Mira Beauty Co. I think, I think it is. So. I think so. Her. All right. Well, well, let's get our <laughs> interview started. So from the beginning, Mira, the Mira team has always chosen to remain anonymous. So we do have Harsh with us today. So can you tell me why the team has kind of chosen to remain behind the scenes personally? Sure. So... I think from the very beginning, Mira Beauty was always meant to be this platform to bring representation to those who have never really fully felt seen within the community. Um, and myself and my friends who are my team, we made the very conscious decision from the beginning to not have the brand focus on us per se, um, but rather our experiences because we think those can resonate with so many. Um, and even on social media, you know, sure, I might be the one who's checking all of our socials, but at the end of the day, you know, we use we, we try not to focus on the me and myself so much um, because one, we want everyone to know that any, any interaction you have with us is really with our whole team. We share a lot of these experiences. We share a lot of um, customer feedback amongst ourselves, but also at the end of the day, we want any customer, anyone who joins our, you know, Mira fam to see themselves. Do you know what I mean? And I think it's much easier for you to see yourself and to see a part of you represented when there's not solid characters that are being sort of the face of the brand. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Mira is a team of friends, as Harsh just said, um, who are BIPOC and some or all are LGBTQ+. Was it a decision to always have that public knowledge or how did that come about? Sure. So I think in the beginning, it was very much so let's be as secretive as we can and not for any you know nefarious reason. Um, I personally am someone, I suffer a lot with anxiety, especially social anxiety. Um, and so I knew that I could never really be this public face of my brand the way that so many other indie brand owners are. Uh, and then for my friends, you know, for all of us, we are all young professionals. We all work in very specific industries. Um, and with this being sort of this, it started as a fun hobby. And obviously the dream is for it to be a full-time job for many of us. We all just sort of decided that we wanted this to be this personal sort of sacred thing for as long as we can make it. But then, you know, life happens and the world around us starts to change and evolve and so many things have gone on in this world in the last year since we started the brand where we just sort of felt that we would be doing a disservice by not sharing parts of ourselves and parts of who we are. And I think a lot of 
you know, the things that we're passionate about. A lot of the social justice we try to invoke with our brand would sort of fall flat if people didn't know who we were behind the scenes. So, you know, no, we're not going to be sharing, you know, our social securities and all of the personal information that a lot of people want from brand owners. Um, <laughs> right. But yep. we like to share, you know, our origins, our heritage, part of the cultures that we come from that um, inspire all of the collections we create. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? I need to stop asking that question. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. You're fine. That's good. So tell me, what does Mira mean? Being the name of your company. Sure. So Mira is actually the name of a song by an Indian American rapper named Raja Kumari. Um, she is someone I discovered about two or three years ago. Just, you know, the YouTube algorithm just put her in front of me and I started listening to her discography. I started to learn more about her as a person. And she's someone uh, born and raised in America, in California, I believe, child of Indian immigrants. And her entire life has sort of been this bridge between the East and the West and not, you know, not feeling fully Indian enough, but also not feeling American enough and just sort of being caught between the two. Um, and that's something that I personally have always resonated with my entire life. I never fully felt seen in either world. Um, and that really just caused me from a very young age to feel that, you know, I wasn't going to get representation being this sort of first generation child of Indian immigrants. So I should stop trying. I should stop yearning for someone to come along and make me feel seen and represented. Um, and unfortunately, you know, it took me being in college. It took that long in my life to feel that. But I'm so happy I did. I'm so happy that people like Raja Kumari, like Mindy Kaling, Aziz Ansari, all of these amazing, you know, Indian children of the diaspora came along to give me that sort of representation. So yeah, Mira is one of my favorite songs by Raja Kumari and definitely the inspiration for my brand. That's so cool. Yeah. Thank you. Yay, representation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Mira is very active and engaging with creators of all sizes on social media, us included. And mm -hmm. we want to thank you for that because when a brand takes the time to recognize you when you had, you know, any number of followers, it really does wonders for your confidence. You know, like I said in a video recently, how long does it take a brand to hit a retweet button? Like mm -hmm. a split second. Was, uh, you always like go beyond that though. And like you, you know, actually DM creators and like check in with them and you're just always so encouraging and positive. And we were just wondering, like, what made you, you know, choose to go about social media that way? Sure. So I think for me personally, my relationship with beauty and the beauty community for the longest time was very private. It was very personal. It was very intimate. Um, for probably the first few years that I sort of partook in the beauty community and just beauty in general, um, it was just me alone in my apartment in college watching tutorials from you know Jackie Ina, Manny MUA, just all of these amazing people. But it was very much so just my safe space to explore and use a part of my brain I wasn't really using being, you know, a student in engineering courses, right? And when I started my brand, it was very much so how can I engage and really find people who are in a very similar situation where beauty is something that they use as a form of release, as a form of therapy, as just a form of expression. And so how can we find those people and truly create a safe space where we can all just share our work together? And I think for me, it's just so easy when I find these creators, you know, of any size really, that just have a passion um, for beauty and for supporting others within the community my first reaction is to want to not just engage with their work, but then if there's people that I see that are routinely just doing such good work and you can just see their enthusiasm and their love for it, just dripping off of their work. The first thing I want to do is DM them or comment or get to know them more. You know, I think I can love someone's work so much, but it's not really until I get to know more about them, whether it's through the comments or I DM them and get to know sort of what inspires their work and a lot of the meaning behind a lot of the looks that they create. 
where I feel like I can really appreciate the art. So I think to me, it's just honestly a no brainer to really engage with people that we admire creators and just sort of, I don't see how you can build a community at the end of the day without doing those things. I love that. I mean, for me, it was coming out of divorce and restarting my life that brought me into the beauty community and have somebody say, you know, Hey, you're doing okay. And we see you. It's like, Whoa, what? (laughs) But that really gave me a confidence to be able to start putting out more photos and engaging with people in the community to where I am now that I'm doing a podcast with friends I met through the beauty community. And, you know, and I thank you for that because you gave me that confidence or part of that confidence to be able to do this. So, you know, you doing that does this for smaller creators who are just starting out. Yeah. Well, thank you. First of all, that makes me feel so good. And I also think it goes both ways. I mean, I've mentioned this before. I've not been shy to discuss this on social media. When you're starting a brand and you're not, this is not necessarily the industry that you work in or that you have years of experience in. Mm -hmm. The imposter syndrome you feel is very real. And I think for myself, you know, I, my friends, a lot of people I know, when we first launched, I launched with lashes and I had so many people test my lashes, give me their feedback, so many friends and family. And at the end of the day, you still feel like, you know, is my product crap? Is no one going to like it? And so I think the flip side of the coin you're mentioning, when I have people like the both of you who love makeup, who use it often, who have tried so many different brands of products, when one, not only do you purchase from me, and I mean, not just to this day, when I get an order, it's just like butterflies. But then when you receive your order, you use the product and then you actually say that this is a great product. It's it, it makes me feel so good. You know, it makes a brand feel so good starting out. And it really, like you said, it, it inspires you to want to keep going. You know, it makes you want to continue down this road because you start to feel like, okay, maybe, maybe you're not a fraud. Maybe you're not this imposter that you convinced yourself you're, you are. So thank you. I, I really appreciate as much as you guys appreciate it from my end. I 100% appreciate it from anyone who, you know, takes a chance on my brand and just wants to kind of share this journey with us. So as a brand, Mira's been very transparent from the start. Mm-hmm. Something we've seen a lot of brands struggle with. <laughs> Can you speak from your perspective as a brand owner on why it's important to be 100% transparent with your business and on social media? Yeah, I think that today in the age of, you know, wokeness and, you know, quote unquote, cancel culture, I think that the one thing we're all sort of realizing is that the community and the consumers, they're not going to forget, you know, if you do something, um, wrong in someone's eyes, they're not going to brush it under the rug. They're not going to forget the stance that you took or the silence even that you as a brand portrayed. And I think at the end of the day, I'd rather not lose that trust and that sense of comfort really that I've built with my audience. So Mm -hmm. if it, you know, if it means me being completely transparent when things are good and when things are bad, I think that's okay. I think, you know, something that I'm learning as a brand, and I think many of us are learning is that, you know, a lot of people seem to hate this idea of cancel culture. I think that it's a horrible name when at the end of the day, it's really just a bunch of people wanting brands, influencers, individuals to just take accountability for their actions. You know, if there's one thing I've learned is that so many of these um, brands, creators, big or small that have complained about this idea of cancel culture, they could have avoided all of that if they were just honest and transparent with the people who they hurt. And so I think for me, you know, especially on the social aspect and the social justice, I can't in good faith fight for these things and then stay silent or try to hide my mistakes when I make them. And, you know, I'll never forget my first big mistake. Um, Right when I launched my brand, you know, we 
we decided to start the brand in January of 2020 when, you know, there were just sort of whisperings that COVID was going to hit the United States. Um, and then by the time we actually launched and opened, um, launched the website on April 10th, COVID was everywhere. You know, everything was closed. That was actually the day I launched my brand was the day that I was furloughed from my job. And it was just, I, I was in so much pain. I was so scared. I had no idea what to do next. And I, I, I allowed that fear to dictate and kind of make decisions for my brand against my better judgment. So mm -hmm. I thought, you know what, I have these lashes I'm launching with that I fully believe in. And I think that they're amazing and they could really compete with some of these bigger names. So I'm going to charge what these bigger names are charging. And I think, again, that was in my heart. I don't think that I wanted to do that. But I think I was so scared with this pandemic. I was so, you know, I had sunk so much of my own savings of my time into starting a brand. And then of course this pandemic hits and I didn't know what tomorrow would bring. And my first instinct was I need to recuperate my costs. I need to, if this is gonna bomb, if this is gonna fail because of the pandemic, you know, why would you start a business in a pandemic? Why would you continue to go down this road when you could have stopped in January? And I charged a price that I wasn't, you know, looking back, I'm not proud of. And I got that feedback after the first couple of days. I had a lot of great people that were like, oh no, I would pay this, this is fine. But then I had a lot of people who, you know, they were very polite actually, just like, hey, I love what your brand stands for. Unfortunately, with everything going on, I just can't afford these right now. And right. I think for me, you know, being a brand from the very beginning, I've always wanted, you know, my mission from the beginning was to uplift and support marginalized communities. Well, I think a big part of, helping marginalized communities is making things accessible to people of all backgrounds, including socioeconomic. And right. within that first week, I realized, you know, this was a huge mistake I had made and I could brush under the rug. I could just quietly change the price and lower it and move forward. But then there would be all of these people that, you know, as nice as they were and as much as they'd still want to support me in a way, they would have also been sort of bamboozled if they all spent, you know, $30 a lash. And then one week later, the lashes are now $20 or $16. Um, and so for me, that was the first big lesson of what can I do to make this right for myself? If I was a consumer, what would I want this brand to do? What would I want any brand to do, big or small, that is conscious of kind of, you know, how they are relating to their audience? And so that was the first time I went through every single order. Um, once I changed the price, I refunded every previous order uh, to reflect the new price. And I messaged all of them. I sent them all an email explaining what had happened. Um, and, you know, I posted on Twitter as well, I believe, and just sort of explained exactly where I was, the headspace I was in. I wasn't asking for forgiveness, um, but I was just asking for people to understand that we are a new brand and that... Some of these decisions are not easy to make. And against our better judgment, we did something that we regretted. And I think that taught me that people are willing to understand if you take full accountability and you don't blame anyone. And sometimes that means taking the L. I had, unfortunately, a lot of people that, I wouldn't say a lot, but definitely a few creators who I really admired who blocked me that very first day, blocked my brand because of you know how we launched. And that's a lesson that I'm always going to have to live with. But I think if anything, it's taught me transparency is key. And as long as I'm open and honest with my audience and I don't do anything that is completely unforgivable, I think that people are willing to grow with me. Do you have any advice for those thinking of starting their own brand? Like what preparations should they do beforehand? What's something you weren't aware of that you wish you knew before you started Mira? Sure. Um, I would say the biggest thing for me is everything takes time. It's not, you know, you could have an idea and it could be months or even a year before that idea becomes a tangible product. So I would say don't beat yourself up if you want to start something or, you know, launch a new product and you can't have it out in a couple of weeks. That's just not how these things work. Don't give up on yourself. There were so many times um, I think I even was DMing a few of you, or both of you actually, when I was for so long trying to start eyeshadow and I had no idea where to go. I was talking to all of these vendors and I just couldn't 
find product that I thought would be good enough to one, um, work on, you know, different shades of skin. You know, I didn't want product that would be completely washed out or ashy on deeper skin tones. And it took a lot of trial and error. It took, gosh, maybe, I think it was 11 different samples from different labs. I spent over probably a thousand dollars on these samples and, uh, one of them obviously was an amazing product from a great lab that I ended up partnering with, but that just shows, you know, all of those other samples went in the trash. They were not usable. They didn't work well. They didn't blend well. They weren't product that I would use, let alone send to other people. And so for anyone wanting to start a business, I would say, don't be discouraged if things take time and don't be discouraged if things fail. You know, I sure I could very well see, all of those samples as failures, but at the end of the day, I choose to see them as lessons because now I know I would never use those products. And I know that I did everything I could to find a great lab. You know, I think a lot of people, unfortunately, they will see just pictures on websites or they'll have a lab email them pictures or email them swatches and they'll say, you know, it worked for them. I'm sure it'll work for me. And then they commit to buying product, they receive the product, they send it to their customers, and it's garbage. And it's so unfortunate because I'm sure these businesses have good intentions and they want, they want to believe that the product is going to work just as good as it did in the swatch created by the lab. But at the end of the day, you don't know what they're doing to those swatches to sell you the product. Yeah. So I would say that's good another point. thing. Everything you sell make sure you use it, make sure you've tried it and make sure you know what it is, you know, know the ingredients, yeah. know where it comes from, all of that. Mm -hmm. Great advice. So, exactly. I mean, I'm using your greed palette and oh my God, I am yeah. in love. People, oh, people, this thing blends itself and you must go get it. I am like oh. sending vibes through this podcast. Go buy it. <laughs> it is that Thank good. You. And, you know, as of this morning, I'm pretty sure one of you is on our Instagram page, our most recent post, I'm pretty sure. So that's uh, yes, I wouldn't, that wouldn't be me because I haven't done anything new. Right. Lana. You'll have new pictures of me very, very soon now that I finally have my palette. Awesome. I can't, I can't wait. So here, take me on the journey of Mira Beauty. From the wholesome bloodline to the sin of avarice, there's such a short time between these launches and the vast difference between what we'll call the values of each one. Were they created together? Sure. So um, to answer your last question, no, they were not. So as I mentioned, you know, I spent, gosh, the majority of 2020 trying to figure out how to create good eyeshadow and where I could procure a lab to make the eyeshadow and a manufacturer to make the components and the, the physical palettes. And it took so long. I'm pretty sure, oh gosh, April, March, April was when we first started having discussions of what we would want eyeshadow palettes to look like. And that entire journey of trying to find the manufacturers and trying to get it together, um, that took pretty much the whole rest of the year. And so once we found the manufacturer, the first collection really, like you said, was Bloodline. Um, and it was sort of at this time for my brand when I was going through this sort of rebrand in a sense. I think 2020 was my time to just sort of get my feet wet and just learn how to start this business and maintain this business. But 2021 is where we really made the conscious effort to make sure everything fit this cohesive theme. And I think, you know, even before my short little tagline for my brand was beauty on a mission. And that still is very much so at the core of my brand, but we recently changed at the top of 2021, actually with the launch of Bloodline, um, our new tagline is more of beauty for the cultures. And I think at the end of the day, you know, the mission was and always will be to uplift and support marginalized communities in beauty. And I think beauty for the cultures does that. And it allows us to, put more of ourselves into the products. Um, you know, specifically, I've mentioned that we are very behind the scenes, myself and my team, um, but that doesn't mean that we don't wanna share who we are. Uh, we just have to do it in different ways. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I knew from the beginning that 
I wasn't going to be on the YouTube channel for my page doing tutorials and, you know, showing myself and my friends. And that's just not who we are. And that's just not, unfortunately, how my anxiety is set up to do those things. Um, but I knew that at the end of the day, the Mira fam really just wanted to connect with myself and my team. And yeah. so that's really where Bloodline was created, right? It was sort of our way of getting a seat at the table and introducing who we are and the cultures and the diasporas that we come from that have shaped who we are today. And that was, you know, we launched it right at the beginning. I think the first teaser we dropped was on New Year's Day, 2021. We launched in the middle of January and it was just such an amazing collection. And in the back of our minds, we were always kind of playing around with different color stories that we would want or different themes um, for follow-up collections. Uh, and it was really, after Bloodline launched, I mean, that completely changed the trajectory of my brand. Uh, I got so many more followers. I had so many people that never knew who my, you know, who we were following us and purchasing the product and trying it and loving the formula. So we knew, okay, the formula is good. The formula is where we want it to be. Now it's how can we grow from here? And a lot of the feedback I got, especially from, you know, within immigrant BIPOC communities, um, a lot of people said that it's really nice to find a quote-unquote wholesome brand, right? A brand that, you know, properly represents immigrant communities. Um, and that, if I'm being completely honest, I don't think those comments were ever meant in malice, uh, but they always sort of rub me the wrong way. Because if there's anything I know about immigrant and BIPOC communities is that we're vastly different. And I don't think that I have the same um, quote-unquote immigrant values that maybe my mother has, that maybe my uncle have, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I, it just made me wonder, you know, if these people knew more about me and my values, would they think I'm wholesome? Would they want to support me? And then it just sort of, it makes you feel dirty kind of, you know, where you feel like you have these people supporting you and you're taking their money and they're buying your product. And if they knew that I was a gay man, if they knew that there are certain aspects of my community in the form of racism and colorism and anti-blackness and homophobia that I would love to dismantle at a cultural level, would those people still support my brand? And then it just became, okay, what can we do to really show who we are at the end of the day? We're a group of 20-somethings. We are educated. We have degrees. We have our jobs. We are sexually liberated beings. So how can we share that part of who we are? And, you know, I hate to put it this way, but how can we do that and sort of weed out the people who won't support that and don't want anything to do with that? Because those are people at the end of the day, if those are your values, that's, you know, I don't want to say that's great. That hurts my heart, but I'd rather, you know, my values so you can make the conscious decision of whether you want to spend your hard earned dollar supporting, you know, a gay man that wears makeup, you know? And that's where at the end of the day with Bloodline, we thought, okay, what, what at the core, what is Bloodline? Because the next collection needs to be the complete opposite. And it really was, okay, Bloodline at the end of the day, if it represents one thing, it represents love. Love for our people, love for our cultures, love for our bloodlines, right? Love for everything that's happened in the past, all of the ancestors, all of the decisions they've made that have brought us to where we are today. Right. Okay, what is the opposite of love? And then that's where I sort of had been thinking about this quote I had heard way back when I was, oh gosh, and maybe junior high or high school, um, my English teacher had said this quote from some book. I, I couldn't even tell you what it was, but it, it read, and I'm paraphrasing, I don't specifically remember, but it was basically, love is a complete stranger in the home of avarice. And then, you know, avarice kind of leaning into these themes of greed and just like desire for materialism and opulence. And it was like, okay, sin, that's really sin at the end of the day. So yeah. that's kind of where House of Avarice just sort of organically came from. Um, how can we explore sin in the way that, you know, it's so crazy for, you know, within generations, I think my generation, you know, millennials or even Gen Z, we're just living our lives. We're living authentically. We're living to make ourselves happy. 
but to so many people, to so many people before us, our happiness is their sin. And that's sort of how, you know, House of Avarice came to be. Was it created with bloodline? No, but right. House of Avarice wouldn't be without bloodline. Does that make, I'm not going to ask oh, yeah. that sense. Yeah. <laughs> it does make sense. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, you've officially sold out of the House of Avarice. And yes, we've yes. sold out of Bloodline two times. Congratulations. Huge congratulations to the Mirror team. So proud of you guys. Um, you. Several other indie brands haven't been able to find that thing, that spark that really drives everyone to them. What do you think it is that makes consumers love Mirror Beauty? Can oh, I gosh. just add to that for a second? Yeah. What I really noticed, though, is it's not only people in the quote-unquote beauty community i mean you just did that um tea time and you've got you know people like sharita and people in the drama um commentary community and all these other different communities too that are just loving your product and buying your product and talking about your product so it's 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 evolved from just people in the beauty community that are loving it and talking about it and promoting it Absolutely. I mean, if I had the answer to your question, I would be a millionaire, I'm sure. I don't fully know. I think at the end of the day, you know, we're real people sharing our stories. And luckily, we're, we're able to create these products that really reflect our stories and our experiences. And they're just resonating with people. And I think anyone out there, you know, I've always said from the beginning that our mission is to you know, support marginalized communities and immigrant and BIPOC communities. And both of our latest collections, our two biggest collections, Bloodline and House of Avarice, have been fully and deeply on every level inspired by those experiences. But that doesn't mean that anyone can't find a common thread that they can relate to with these collections. You know, you don't have to be um, an immigrant or a BIPOC person to know what it feels like to be slut shamed by family members at a young age mm-hmm. to for both of you to be mm-hmm. a woman who wants to have a career and make money for yourself and a life outside of being a housewife you know mm-hmm. all of these themes of greed and lust that really can apply to so many people's experiences um but i i wish i had an answer for you i think at the end of the day what i've experienced is that the relationships we built online have truly allowed us to reach new audiences every day. I mean, I would say that the vast majority of orders I've received of purchases have been from people who have engaged with us on social media or who have heard of us from someone that they know and that they trust. I don't think any customer of mine has just been someone who randomly came across me on Google. You know what I mean? Right. So I think like you guys said, it starts with people within the beauty space that we have built a great relationship with. And I think that have been able to build trust in us and then their friends start to find out. And like you said, people like Sharita is someone who I, I just, I have so much love for her. And she is you know, incredible. Absolutely. And Shout out to you. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Sharita if you're hearing this. You know, for her to create the platform she has as a commentary channel, you know, and she, I think she tweeted something last year or maybe in 2019 about how there really is no BIPOC representation within commentary communities. Mm -hmm. And she really created that for herself. And I think at the end of the day. I started watching her when she had, I don't know, I think one of her first go out. So I've been watching her a long time, and she's incredible. And to have, you know, to have somebody like her, you know, and when she started talking about Mira, I was like, wow, okay. Absolutely. The fact that we, she came across my page when we were talking, I think, I think we, we were commenting on some social issue, right? Because that's, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, that's a big part of my brand, and that's something that I'll never be quiet about. And yep. she even told me that it was, seeing a brand actually commenting on things that we're passionate about and not staying silent. And for so long, you know, any brand owner would tell you, don't discuss these issues. It's career suicide. 
you, you yeah. can't take a stance. You have to be quiet. You have to be behind the scenes. And now I'm realizing, and I think this new sort of class of indie brands, we're realizing that we can have values. We can make sure that our values are aligned with our brand and that can bring in audiences, you know, and now it's, we're connecting with people that even if we don't all share the same knowledge of makeup or the same passion of makeup, we share the same passion of representation and social justice that can mm -hmm. allow us to connect. And I think yeah. that's beautiful. Absolutely. Did I answer the question? I don't remember the yeah. full question. Yeah, okay. you did. Oh, yeah, you did. You're good. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> That's the best part about these. There's no real right or wrong answer. There you go. I love that kind of a test. I just, I want to get to know you and I want people to to get to know you and love you just like we do. Oh, yeah. thank you. I really appreciate that. Great. Lana, I think you're up. As you actually. Oh, um, good thing I can edit this. <laughs> <laughs> I think you should keep that in. <laughs> I might, because you know what? I'm actually doing my makeup with. Okay, which palette am I using right now? Greed. So, you know, <laughs> I love that. I'm just and it's looking, it's looking incredible, by the way. Okay, so speaking of greed. How has this evil creation been accepted in your family, by your friends, social media, just kind of all over? Yeah, I would say that overall, I think the reaction has been great, um, especially on social media. I think a lot of the Mira fam, a lot of the people who engage with me regularly, they sort of lean in the same direction as I do in terms of values. So I think everyone sort of took this as a fun and cheeky kind of way to liberate ourselves you know i i use the word slut a lot i think that's something that a lot of us have been called i know i have um but i don't think anyone especially anyone who really knows my brand or has been following took that offensively do you know what i mean yeah. um sure you know there's going to be some people who don't know the brand who come across you know i think my reveal of the final collection of every palette open and closed that got the most likes I've ever gotten on Instagram, which was great. But that also means that that introduced new members to my audience. And some people I think were unfortunately um, disappointed in some of the shade names. I think they thought those were a little offensive or a little too far um, into those people. You know, if you're someone listening, then you see the palettes, you see the shade names, you see something that doesn't sit right with you. I welcome a discussion to that. Um, you're welcome to DM me or email me um, or tweet. And if I see it, I'll try to respond because um, I want to hear from other people that are hurt by these things. At the end of the day, the collection was really meant to represent myself and my team and our experiences. And I never in a million years would think that I'm representing entire communities. I think that no one can ever represent an entire group. And that would never be my... Um, my mission or my goal. I just thought, you know, I can represent myself and my friends. And, you know, we, we talked to a lot of people about this collection and the themes of this collection, a lot of our friends, a lot of our families. Um, and we know that the experiences that we've had can resonate with so many, you know, there are millions of people I'm sure that have had very similar experiences. And I hope that our stories can resonate with them. Um, but, you know, there's going to be a few people that, don't like anything you know it could be you know pastel clouds as the entire theme and people would still be offended sometimes and that's unfortunate and i don't think that those people's um views should be uh dismissed i think that it's very valid for you to have um your own opinion and i can mm -hmm. you know i can just do my best to try to make you feel heard even if we disagree at the end of the day i don't ever want anyone to think that i don't care um, and then in terms of family, so, you know, my mother, bless her heart, she's not very into technology. She's very, she likes to stay away from as much as possible. So, I mean, even when we launched Bloodline, she didn't have Instagram and she didn't know how to use Instagram. So mm -hmm. she would go to my website because at the bottom, there's a feed to my Instagram. So she would go to my website and then click at the bottom to then be taken to Instagram. 
So I don't know if she still does that or how much of this collection she's seen. Um, you know, obviously the thank you card is very, you know, <laughs> there are yeah. certain themes in the thank you card that I wouldn't necessarily, I, I don't ever mean to call my mother a slut. Um, so I hope that she hasn't seen those things. Um, I think at the end of the day, she just thinks it's a beautiful collection. I've not talked to her about the theme behind it. Uh, my sister is all for it. So, you know, I have family that completely supports. And then the rest of my family, I think I just, I think they just think it's a beautiful, beautiful covers. <laughs> well, hopefully they just see the beautiful looks that everyone creates with your products and appreciate it. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> What made you decide to explore the unique backgrounds of your team in the last two collections? Was that always a plan or did it evolve from something? It was never a plan, to be completely honest. I think it evolved from, um, you know, even with you, Aaron, a year ago, you, you said that you were restarting your YouTube channel, you were starting this new journey, and that you wanted mm -hmm. to interview me. And I said, you know, hard pass, you know, <laughs> cut the oh. cameras. <laughs> I was not here for it. I was just so scared to share any part of who I was as a behind the scenes figure. And, you know, that in large part um, was influenced by my social anxiety. And I think it's still, it's still something I deal with on a daily basis, but it's something I'm trying to um, maneuver. And I think it just came down to so many people were asking about our team and about the people behind the team and avoiding those questions or saying that we don't want to share ourselves, especially in a day of social media where it seems like everybody wants to be in front of the camera, everybody wants to be seen. So it really creates this question in a lot of people's mind of why are they trying so hard to not be seen? What are they hiding? And it wasn't until people started saying things like that. Um, and, you know, again, it was never in malice, but I think just having those questions introduced where if there's any insinuation that we're hiding something, it scared me, you know? I didn't want anyone to think that there was something to hide or something then, you know, to expose. And so we really made the conscious, conscious decision then of as our brand grows and as we start to introduce new products, um, because this was right around the time that we were getting ready to start building eyeshadow palettes, we just yeah. sort of decided that we'd rather share some part of ourselves and so yeah you know was it ever the focus from the beginning absolutely not and now it's one of those things where i sort of let go of a lot of that anxiety um, as much as i could and you know what came of that i was able to create a collection where i not only represented myself and who i am and have this palette i can look at that is just a collection of so many different memories of my own I was able to do the exact same thing with two of my best friends and their own experiences and their cultures. And now we all have these tangible products that in my eyes will forever immortalize our friendship and our bond. And in doing so, we, I think a lot of, you know, our online family really got to know more about us. So I think it was a win-win and I just don't see myself going back to launching products that aren't influenced by the people behind the brand. I love that. Yeah. Thank you. So in you kind of spoke about this a little bit, but in your letter on the House of Avarice, you kind of go into detail about the meaning behind the green palette and how as a first generation child of an immigrant, you felt particularly driven to excel. How do you think that drives helped you in a way to start Mira to get the success that it's become today? Sure. I mean, gosh, I think, like I mentioned in the letter, going back to childhood, you know, you have these themes growing up in immigrant BIPOC households where, you know, if, especially for me and so many people I know, from a young age, you're made aware of everything that your parents had to sacrifice to come to this country, to come to America or to leave home so that they can create a better life for their kids. You know, we, we laugh now, but you know, our, our father told us this story time and time again, growing up of how he came to America with $20 in his pocket and that's it. And he made a life for himself. And more importantly, he did all of that so that his children could have 
a life um, just completely dissociated from the limitations of um, hierarchy and caste and all of these things that could potentially hold us back, back home. Um, and even though that was everything that they knew and everything that was so comfortable to them, they decided to give it up for their children. And when you grow up with that, you know, from your parents, it's just sort of like, we did this for you because we love you. But when you're a kid, you don't, you don't fully register that part. All you register is that whatever I do next has to be good enough to make their sacrifice worth it. And from a young age, that manifests itself grades and um, report cards. You know, I, I mentioned in the letter that I, it, I've had very real experiences, very vivid memories to this day where I could be, you know, in ninth grade in biology class and I could get a 90 on a test that I studied so hard for over, you know, photosynthesis, like something that's so incredibly boring that you could never care about. And I worked my butt off to get that grade. And I remember getting grades and I would immediately wonder, like I would ask around, you know, what did you get? What did you get? Because I would, I would need to know what the highest grade in the class was and where mm -hmm. I stacked with that, because that's the first thing my parents would ask me, right? I come home with glee, just jumping up and down that I got an A. And the first question you're going to get from your immigrant parents is, um, what was the highest grade in the class? Why didn't you get that? And again, it just comes from, that's how they were raised. Um, in a, you know, my parents even told me when they were little, even in their small villages, when kids would graduate, their, the rankings of the classes would just be posted publicly. It would be very public knowledge. So I think culturally, it's very easy to compare yourself there. And don't get me wrong, I think for me, it worked. You know, that pressure to be the best, it helped me excel academically. But there are also plenty of kids who come from those structures and those families who, unfortunately for them, that pressure causes them to crack. And they can't, they can't meet those expectations sometimes. And that, you know, unfortunately plays a deep role on a lot of people's mental health. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, that, that, I don't want to say pressure, but that definite need within myself. And that's the crazy thing. I think after a certain point, your parents no longer pressure you. You put that pressure on yourself. And even in college, it was this constant pressure to make sure I do well enough to get a good job after I graduate. Because why did my parents do all of this if I can't get a job that makes me a certain salary so that I can be financially independent and that I don't have to work physically as hard as my parents had to when they came here, you know? And so, yeah, I think I graduated. I, like I said, I, I was in the middle of getting my engineering degree um, when I sort of discovered beauty. And that was a great, at first it was just an outlet, right? It was a way to express myself and to just sort of use a different part of my brain um, and just kind of um, compartmentalize the stress of college. And then after I graduated, college was no longer the stressor. It was my job. It was my full-time career. It was doing the things that I've become good at because I made myself work day in and day out to perfect these things. And that's just sort of the perfectionist and the person, the person within me striving for success, but I wasn't fulfilled. You know, I, I worked yeah. my entire life to get this job, to get what I thought was my dream job and to find this level of success. And now that I've achieved that dream, I really was starting to, um, and this was kind of the end of 2019, early 2020, right before I just made the jump to start Mira, I started to wonder, you know, this was my dream. Why am I still not content? And that's kind of when it hit me that maybe, maybe I'm realizing that I had bigger dreams this entire time or that I, I had other dreams. And it was, okay, how can I do this, but still maintain the quote unquote, life of success that my parents wanted for me. And that's when it was just like, you know what, start Mira, start this as a side hobby, do, you know, work your ass off nine to five in the office, and then come home and work on your dream from five to nine, you know, do that, see if that can happen for you. And I think for me, that's what it was. It was that inner sort of yearning for success that led me to think like, this is a no brainer. 
it's going to be difficult. It's going to be a lot of hard work. It's going to be a lot of hard hours, especially since I don't have any hours during the day really to do it. I'm at my other job. I'm at my full-time job. And they're not going to appreciate me in the office um, on Canva drawing up mock-ups for eyeshadow, you know? Um, mm -hmm. But it was just this thing inside of me, I think, just this this way I've always been, you know, thanks to my parents, I suppose, where it was a no-brainer to if I want to do this, I have to do this when I have free time. Even if I don't have very much free time, I'll make it work. And so, yeah, I think that absolutely dictated who I am today. And, you know, without that upbringing, Mira wouldn't even exist. So we should all thank your parents. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. Thank you, Mira, Mom, and Dad. Exactly. <laughs> I, I thank you. <laughs> do, do we have any more questions oh i think we're i think that was it mm -hmm. awesome well, thank you so much for doing this i really i appreciate learning more about you and i feel like our viewers will definitely appreciate learning more about you and mira and everything because you know we don't know much <laughs> Yeah, no. absolutely. Thank you for having me. And I'm happy I could share part of our journey. And I hope that it can resonate with people. Mm -hmm. You know, anyone who hears this, I hope that some part of my journey for my brand uh, can resonate with you and maybe help you on your journey. Who knows? Maybe we can even get a part two. If viewers have questions, you can certainly DM us at the three podcast queens. And we can see if we can bring our friend Harsh back up another time. Yeah. And in the meantime, totally. I'm going to post the look that I've been doing during this podcast on my channel. And maybe it'll even get on to Mary's channel. We'll see how, what he thinks. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Self promotion. Yes. What can I, I say? I cannot wait to see. <laughs> I will spare everyone my pajama selfie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for coming up with us today, Harsh. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank and you for having me the three podcast queens and we'll be back again soon with another indie brand owner for the good the bad and the ugly take care bye bye